This is the Back Porch Education Podcast. Today on the show, Steve and I talk about how to teach the love of reading. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Steve, I've got a poem. Really? I do. I thought, I thought hard about uh, saying that I had a poem and then telling you that it was by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. And, uh, you know, you would make some quip about it not being about my, my favorite poet. And then I was going to read the poem Frost at Midnight. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I think... Uh... <laughs> Uh, it's it's quite good, uh, but it's a little lengthy for the beginning of a podcast. It's, I don't know, 80-some lines or something like that. Uh, just a little bit much. So, Frost at Midnight, that's the, uh, uh, for the precocious student who's doing the independent reading. There you go. There you go. Yeah. That's yours. Um, for the rest of you, here is a, a poem by Coleridge entitled, To a Critic. Hmm. Okay. Uh, the, the subtitle of this is so to a critic who extracted a passage from a poem without adding a word respecting the context and then derided it as unintelligible. <laughs> Most candid critic, what if I, by way of joke, pulled out your eye and holding up the fragment, cry, ha ha, that men such fools should be. Behold this shapeless dab, and he who owned it fancied it could see. The joke were mighty analytic, but should you like it, candid critic? Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, I have no idea why you chose that for this particular... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, some of the poems I choose have something to do with what we're talking about today, but most, like this one, are completely unrelated, right? No, this... I'll leave it to the listener to decide if I'm being facetious or, or honest, but I'll tip the hat and say I, I see connection. Good. Go find it. Um, yeah. um, so I, I wanted to get us into the subject by, by asking you a, a straightforward question, not a trick question, okay. which is unusual for me. Yeah, no doubt. Um, it, well, let's, let's start real easy. Yes, no question. Do you read? I read, yes. Now the hard one. Okay. Why? Oof. Why do I read? I read because um, I grow when I read. I, I want to grow. So you would say that most of your reading is self-motivated? Yeah. I would say that it's, yeah, it's motivated by my own acknowledging, well, either I acknowledge that I'm lacking in something or I'm curious about something. Yeah. Sort of a desire to know. Yeah. And, and when I talk to students who are struggling with our subject, that of, uh, um, enjoying reading, loving Mm -hmm. reading, Mm -hmm. wanting to read, Mm -hmm. part of their issue is that so much of their reading is <clears throat> assigned to Yeah, them. I get this a lot too. I, I never got it in Latin uh, when I taught Latin. 
uh, or theology or ethics, any of that stuff, I didn't get it. But teaching uh, English now for a couple years, one at the college level, yeah, exactly, and one now at the high school level, I got it that same idea a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, but this is a signed reading. Yeah, so anyway, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. But, no, you're not. It's a, the conversation yeah. is, is what is it that motivates people to read? What is it that, that changes it from burden to delight? Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that for me, the burdensome reading was often that which was didactic, pedantic. Mm-hmm. Textbook uh, reading. Textbook reading or, or even nonfiction um, but, but yeah, a lot of it was textbooks. Um, like I enjoy philosophy, so I'll read it with passion, but, but I'll freely admit at times history became, I mean, in the hands of a good history writer, it can, it can almost read like a story. Yeah. But, but, but that's part of it is that I, I, I think the human soul tends towards the narrative. Yeah. As opposed to the discursive. The, the right. argument. Right. Arguments can get wearisome. Right. Yes. Stories, it's almost like you're not reading. You're that's listening right. to a story. Right. And, and, and that's, I've always had a difficulty, uh, like I have some books on CDs or some audio books or whatnot. I can do a story pretty well. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, that's interesting to but go to that. Like meeting. my field of theology, I from time to time picked up a theological work. <laughs> yeah. You know, or somebody shared it with me. Or whatever. Oh, I, oh, I listened to this back and forth for <coughs> however many hours. You know, here's this great work on you know something, and I pop it in, and my mind wanders. Absolutely, just, it's really because t- because when I'm reading it on the page, I've taught myself to argue with the author, to have an active hand, mm-hmm. noting, marking. Yeah, margin. Yeah, <clears throat> notes, even if it's if it's that imperative that I get it. Yep. Uh, stopping, going back. And right. that's annoying with audio. Well, yeah, it's, it's I mean, much it's more difficult. It's, right. But it's not uh, seamless. Right, 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 right. right. With a page, yeah. I know right where, and my eye immediately goes back yeah. to where I wanted to start over, and that sort of thing. So, uh, especially if I've marked it well. So... Uh, there, there are some natural contours to reading. It's different kinds of reading. Yeah. And uh, I think our conversation came about because of an article I shared with you a, a, a while back on one man's um, who, who teaches at the university level in literature mm-hmm. um, is decrying the fact that, that the English department in the university is suffering. Right, right. Yeah, so he, he uh, Lindley... Man, I really should pull up the name of the article. I'll look at it here uh, in a bit. But uh, Lindley is the guy's name, and um, he is writing an article that says uh, something along the lines of, um, you know, English departments are uh, have many problems, and a lot of great scholars have outlined those problems, and and then he sort of gestures the history, towards them. Yeah, exactly. The history the is one of solutions. Right, right. Right. And he says constructionism, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. And so he says what but what we what he wants to do here uh, is develop a new model that will give us um, sort of reinvigorate the heart of literature and um, if I'm remembering right, also um, give us principles for 
going forward. Um, and so from there... Well, I think he's trying to save it from becoming just a job. The uh, teaching Te- literature? Teaching literature has become yeah. very much of a career. Yeah. And, and a, less of and a, a passion. subspecialty. Yeah. Some subspecialty. Right. So right. just a few right. over there in the corner. There's right. really not that important. Mm-hmm. Some of that's a change in our overall definition of what education is. Sure. Right. Uh, literature is going to be less important if the main purpose of education is to make a buck. Yeah. Right. But if it is wisdom and virtue, mm-hmm. then the humanities of which... Whatever you want to call it, we English. being humans, <laughs> but, you know, we, we need to make that distinction between yeah. the teachers of English are teaching both arts and sciences, right? Okay, okay. They, they are involved in the art of composition, the art of reading, the art of uh, there, there's there's a certain amount of virtue, yeah, that's being cultivated, and then there's a there's a wisdom, there's a there's an, an examination of of philosophy, mm-hmm. of, of ethics and philosophy, what it means to be human. Right. Hence humanities. Right. And, and, and that's more of a, you know, running across all four sciences, but in particular, ethics and philosophy, yep. theology, certainly there. So so if you, depending on how you're defining things, yes, English becomes sort of, I already know how to talk. No big what? Well, you know, uh, it, what, what, this is a gen ed class that I just kind of slide through, yep. wait to get to my major Mm-hmm. Right, so then in essence, English only matters to English majors, mm-hmm. and that's a that's a problem in education that I don't think he's really addressing. He's mainly talking about why do people groan their way through a English one hundred and one course, right? And at least in part, and I think this is legit in any part of education, part of the problem must be the way it's taught. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's not just them, right. those stupid students. No, exactly. <laughs> Why don't they get it? Right. Uh, in part, they don't get it because you're, you're doing Because we're not giving it. Right. right. So, something's not going right. Right. Yeah, so he, um, it, it's a fun read uh, for somebody who is um, somewhat well-versed in the movements of uh, literary criticism of the past, say... Uh, 200 years yeah. uh, because he he certainly um, provides a bit of analysis on those different things but I think that's probably beyond the scope of what we're talking about yeah, we'll um, post the link to it on the website yeah right. absolutely and I'm, I meant to look it up when you were talking but um, the uh, he I think what he has for us is uh, what what I what resonated uh, with me what I want to um, learn from, contend with, uh, is this notion um, that first, well, that basically, the long short of it is, is that we should um, treat artifacts, uh, novels, literature, as persons. Mm-hmm. Okay, now let me unpack that a little bit. Um, he, he turns back uh, all the way to Genesis and he um, points to how when God creates man and woman, uh, they in some way bear his image or reflect his image. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, then he says, isn't this curious? Isn't this interesting? Uh, in the same way, God bids a, well, mm, I don't want to put words in his mouth. I don't know if he says in the same way. 
not that I'm scared of it, but you can get people in trouble theologically when you start saying stuff like that. Um, so he says... Uh, At least analogously. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Analogously. Uh, we uh, create things that bear our image. And we are given the, uh, the... And I think this is an important part of his argument. We are given an imperative by God to create. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so he says... Um, we, we then, the way that we treat other people, um, we should also treat literature that way. Yep, yep. And I think that that is, uh, I don't know. I mean, how if, if you said that to your students, treat uh, Dante... I don't know. I think it actually, I think this might be uh, a practical way to talk about if we wanted to talk about ways to sort of get do, get to doing this, it would be to use the author's name instead of the title of the book. But if you uh, were to say to your students, treat Paradiso like a person, mm-hmm. what what would they say to you? I'm trying to imagine what Mark would say. Yeah, um... Well, so this is part of the modern imagination. It's incapable of anything other than literalism. Okay. It's not. Right. It's not a person. It's a book. It's a poem. Right. It's a thing. Right. Um, so, so you would have to... I, I, so I, I was struck by the similarity between what Lindley was talking about and some of the stuff I've read in Lewis, and, and especially Lewis's work on criticism. Yeah. Um, he he references the Renaissance author Tasso. Yeah. Okay. Right. And Tasso's this guy that came along and said, really, any piece of writing and any, I don't know, I don't know if, uh, how he limited it, but but a writer is two people. Whoa. He is an author, and he is a person. So when I come okay. to a written work, mm-hmm. I know I'm being toyed with. An author has, in advance, to some extent, depending on the writer. I mean, there are sure. those that, that don't know what's going to happen in their own book until they've written it. Sure. But, but often, there's pre-planning. There's a, there's, there's a notion of a plot. Mm-hmm. The writer knows he's, he's chosen what voice to write in. He's chosen the events. He's chosen the, sure. the frame of the lens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, and, and so you can't discount that. Right. He well, is a writer. That's his glory. I mean, that's his... Screwing with you. Right, yeah. You know, for sure. Where is he taking me? Mm-hmm. But he is also a person. And this is... So when people would, would, would come at Lewis and go, you wrote Narnia to simplify the Christian message, he would vehemently argue against that. Uh-huh. I wrote stories as an author that contain me, Lewis, the Christian writing stories. Okay. I couldn't write other than as a Christian. That's who I am. <laughs> right, right. But I didn't set out to write a sermon disguised as stories. Right. I was an author writing stories. He says the line which in wardrobe started with the notion of a fawn carrying packages. <laughs> so Tumnus was yeah. born. Yeah. Tolkien said similar yeah, things. I remember this. that that he that he jotted down. There was a hobbit who lived in a hole in the ground. Yeah, 
And from that came all of Middle Earth, which is mind-boggling. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just flowing with detail and yeah. backstory and so on and so forth. So, but, but that's often what a writer does, is he, he is at the same moment inventing, creating. Let's mm-hmm. just talk about mm-hmm. the, the, the Genesis terms that you brought in. He's a creator creating. Right. But he's not a creator creating outside himself. He's a creator creating from himself. Yeah. And so you get this triangle set up, and a reader, I think, best enjoys a work when he recognizes the triangle. Over here is the work. Okay. The story. Okay. Paradiso. Uh-huh. But I'm not looking at it alone. There's a creator. Um, and I'm trying to I'm trying to enjoy both the what what he created, certainly, but but through that who he is as well. Right. And and there are times when my students are determining I don't like this guy. <laughs> you know. Uh, we we read a story every year in seminar, Camus the Stranger. Sure. And it's not enough. They inevitably get snarky about who Albert Camus was. Mm. Who would write a story like this? Uh-huh. They don't like the story. They don't think it's right to just kill somebody because you think it's right. Yeah, right. <laughs> You've justified it. That's On the not, beach. You yeah. can't do that. Right. Um, and they're bothered by all of the other stuff around the story. Mm-hmm. The, the the guy beating his dog and the, and the, 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 the fellow doesn't have any feelings when his mother dies. And right. It's, it's all this stuff. So... The story is affecting them, but it, it, it is leading them, if they're into it, mm-hmm. it's leading them into our relationship with Camus himself. Yeah. So they really are forming two relationships simultaneously, a relationship with that story, The Stranger, mm-hmm. and hopefully with some of its characters. Right. What sort of mind could have created this? Right. right? And, and we do this with music so exactly, much. Exactly. So much we do this, right? Even to the point where sometimes the more I get to know the artist, the it changes my feelings about his work. Yeah, no doubt. Right. No doubt. Um, so uh, uh, this personalization is not a uh, left-handed way to talk about meaning-making or bringing... This is not me making it personal, but bringing me into it. No. This is sort of the opposite. It's bringing... It, to me, yes. de- developing a love yep. for w- it as it is, not just, quote-unquote, what I get out of it. Yeah, good. Or, or I think importantly, what you can see in it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, uh, a, a big part of what Lindley's trying to do, and um, I think that I fall victim to this in my own, certainly not in my own reading, but in my teaching of reading, in my trying to get the students to love reading. Um, I re- I think I'm at times I uh, reduce the text to the features of the text mm-hmm. because I am so enamored by mm-hmm. the smallest mm-hmm. details. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I can I can camp there forever, right? And then I say, oh, but look at this, oh, but look at this. And I, um, one of the, one of the thing, one of the most common questions uh, that I ask my students in, in literature classes, what do you see? What is there? 
What is the shape of the poem, mm-hmm. right? What is, uh, how many beats per line, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What is yeah. the rhyme scheme? Um, is this novel long or short? You know, like, uh, what, whatever it is. Like, uh, are the words long or short? I'm trying to get them to notice the features of the text because I want them to notice the decisions that the author has made. Right, right, right. But I don't know that I am as diligent as I could be or would be beneficial to them in explaining why I'm trying to draw their attention to these features. And it's what I just said. I want you to acknowledge the author's genius or fault right. or both. Right, right. Well, right. So, so you often are trying to use the details of his art as an author mm-hmm. and somewhat neglecting the details of the man himself. Mm-hmm. And, and Lindley is saying it's got to be the whole package. Yeah. You, you, can't, you can't turn it into this lifeless thing, or if you do, you've killed it. Right. Right. Yeah, well, and so that's his thing is these, uh, he's trying to get us to uh, read literature like it is a person. So acknowledging right. the personhood of the author, and to, to uh, use your uh, terms that you've uh, been working with from Lewis, to uh, acknowledge the uh, personhood of the person that is the author, mm-hmm. but then also he's saying acknowledge the personhood. This is going to grate the ears of some people, but acknowledge the personhood of the text. Yes. This thing has derived life from yeah. the author. Right. And, and you need and to so, see that. Yeah. And I think an example will make this very clear. Um, if you reduce a person, a human, okay, a person to their features, well, he was 5'11", you know, uh, wore glasses, mm-hmm. brown hair. Um, no matter how many features you give of that person, uh, you will have never totally captured that mm-hmm. person, yeah. right? The person is both more and less than his features. Well, I had a conversation one time with somebody about a good old friend of mine, Mr. McCotter. Okay. So this is from Dickens. Yeah, okay. Right? David right. Copperfield. Right. And he is befriended by this gentleman who, as is a very Dickens-like thing, he loves to, to write characters. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a dozen of them swimming around in my mind at any given moment. Right. He often begins with how you would come to know someone, the outer features. Right? Yeah. So he's describing size, height, dress, wrinkles on the, you know, bulbous nose, whatever. Right. Portraits, they're called. And so the, the, the discussion was how much I love Mr. Macabre. And so the, the, the astute question was, when did you fall in love with Macabre? Uh, okay. So I was trying to think that through. Now, my first reading of David Copperfield was many a year ago. Uh-huh. But what I reduced it down to is I didn't really... I liked him. I fell in love with him when he spoke. Okay. Once I got a grasp of his... who he was by what he was thinking... Yeah, yeah. 
it affected me much more strongly. Yeah, sure. Than than if uh, if it would have just been a painting, just just been, and, 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 and so that I think that, that so that's that's where I'm trying to get is um, if we keep it as a a dead artifact. Yeah. And we can we can the student can run us through the the, the facts. Mm-hmm. Um, but it hasn't come alive to them. As soon as whatever we're going to do to assess them is over, it's gone out of their life. Sure. I I had a conversation with students years ago when we first started into Homer. <laughs> oh, Mr. Elliot, this is just so hard, so boring, so, 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 so. And some of it is preparation. Mm-hmm. Homer is poetic. Right. If you are uncomfortable, unlearned, unprepared for working with poetry, yep. you're behind it already. Yep. But but I ask them this question because okay. I had had an experience. Well, I'll tell you about the experience and then I'll tell you the question I yeah, asked. Yeah, okay, great. I won't even need to ask the question of, of, of the listeners once they've heard the story. Uh-huh. I went to a, 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 a presentation one time and, and most presenters will give a title to their talk. Sure. Right? Sure. So the title was War. Nice. Now, it was a plenary session, so everybody at this conference was going to sit through this thing. It wasn't one of those where you look across, ooh, I'll go to the war. Oh, yeah, cool. Everybody's going to this. Okay. Okay. But the the singular title of the thing was War. (laughs) Everyone was conscripted. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's right. You're, you're about to be drafted. Uh, we all sat down. We got comfortable. The gentleman was introduced. I knew who he was by reputation, and he starts telling this story. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's this woman, and she's married, but there's this other guy, and pretty soon she's run off with the other guy, and the da 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 da. I don't know, 20 minutes into this 50-minute presentation, I go, this is the Iliad. <laughs> <laughs> he has purposely changed the names to protect the innocent. Right. There are innocents in the Iliad? <laughs> well, no, the innocents in the crowd. Oh, I see. Okay. Because <laughs> if he would have put the Iliad... Everyone would have fallen asleep. We would have come in going, I early. know what this is. I already studied this. I know, I, I know this thing. Right. Right. But he's just telling this compelling, passionate, exciting story. He's a master storyteller. So the question I asked my students was, would this be any more interesting if it was a movie? Okay. Or would it be more interesting if a guy just sat here and told it to you? Now, their heads are nodding up and down like... Machines. Oh, I, yeah, 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 because they don't want to read it. It's more work. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah, sure. Right. And it's not got the vitality, mm-hmm. the tone, the up and down, the performance. Yeah. Right. And so I think that there's something to that. Now, I don't think Lindley is saying, thus, we should only watch the movie. Or only read to our students. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> not right. assign reading. Right, right. But there is a there's a level of effort necessary to get to something read mm-hmm. that is not required of 
the ear or the eye. Yeah. In a, and, and and it's part of what's going on with the audiobook we were talking yeah. about earlier. Yeah. It, it, it's too passive at times, which makes it easier. But there's still a work to be had even even in that passive mode of just listening to the story. I still got to see it. I still got to be. You know, it's, it's, there's still work to be done. It's a different kind of work. Yeah. So I it's think harder to settle in, right? Yeah. It, it's it's harder to settle in uh, to a to a more uh, well to a book, right? To when when we have a especially if you're not practiced with it. Um, whereas, uh, you know, the spoken uh, word or the red word even or a TV show show certainly. Um, these are much more like common, literally just common. They're they're more familiar, right? We we do these things. Uh, but the, I, so a book is making me put some things back together. Mm. It's making me look in. Yeah. A conversation is much more immediate. Yeah. I see the face. I I get the tone, the body language, etc. So so much of communication is. Nonverbal, yeah. That a book. If if what I'm trying to do is make it personal and 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 get to know it and its author, yeah, as a personal entity, a right. creature, right. It's harder because it's just ink on paper. Um. But I think he's right that the that the pull, the learning to seek that mm-hmm. is a. It, for the teacher to lead their students, that's, most of my students say the only reason they read it is because you made it sound so good. <laughs> okay, great. All right, I'll so, take it. <laughs> I'm less concerned that they know all I know about the work. Yeah, well, that's, fact, that's part of it. Is that 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 over time, if the love is caught, to go Ooh. back to Coolridge, yeah, <laughs> right, right. If first the love is there, yeah. then then from that can come all the good things. Mm-hmm. But if the first thing birthed in the experience is, ugh. Yeah, pain. Then why would you expect them to go any further? They're, they're, they're off. They're turned. They're, they're not sticking their nose in that water because right. that's not good stuff. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It gives me a lot to think about. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, as we're gearing up for another year here, I'm thinking uh, about how I might work things in my own classroom, you know. Well, um, and, and, and I think that, uh, so why do you like talking to people that you meet? What makes someone an interesting conversant? Um, I, I don't, I, I think it's, well, if I can uh, sort of play both sides of the coin here, it would be um, I like, for me, people are especially interesting who say something that I would never expect anyone to say, but I can see why they did. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a, a, a common thread of interest. You're talking about something that intrigues me. Right. So, so now, I, I don't know that this is in Lindley's work, but it's certainly in my mind. Mm-hmm. The choice of what we put 
in front of our students to love becomes really important. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. The reason I'm confident that with time and training and the proper way of being taught, Homer can be interesting to my students is because it has been for 3,000 years. Yeah, no doubt. It's, it's proven itself. Right. Right. The uh, and I can come back to it year after year after year without any falling off of, oh, now Homer again. Right. It's more like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the joy my students have when every year that I teach it, I don't always teach it, but, but right now I've been teaching it for a number of years in a row. I walk into class, all right, we're going to hell today. <laughs> it's Dante day. And, and they're like, what? You see? <laughs> you know, a few of them get the joke, but most of them it's a little while into the, oh, we're reading a poem about a really hot place. Right. Um, so I, I, I think the, the, the revival of the English department is in part and understanding that what we have to offer is life-giving mm-hmm. and life-changing. And alive. And alive, right, worth yeah. it. Yeah. It's not just stuff. Right. And, um, and so I think his general recommendation is legit, and uh, we could spend a lot of time maybe in another session, how does, a, how does an English teacher charge their batteries? Mm. You know, what what keeps the English teacher from getting in a rut. Right. Um, but I, I think that um, the notion of being a... Uh, it, it just, it, I, I've used this before, that schools are just a series of conversations. And it's yes. obvious teacher-student. Right, sure. But student... And, or student and teacher, reader, yeah, with author, right, good, right. So nice. there is a conversation that sometimes gets lost. I think one of the reasons it gets lost is because of these stinking textbooks. Yeah, it's really hard to converse with a textbook. It really is. A textbook is probably one of the more refined and pedantic forms of sermonic literature known to man. Well, it's I'm it's going lecture. to tell you. Yes. Yeah. I, just shut up and yeah, take it. Moses, is like. There are no Coming questions down from in the, the mountain. Like, I mean, it's just boom. Yeah. Here he thus saith. The best you can hope for is that they've chosen to put it in a narrative form. Oh, yeah. That, right. Some right. history books right. read a little bit more like a story. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, uh, you know, that's what I used to look for when I would be required to have some history text. Uh, there, was a, there was a couple that I, um, like Paul Johnson had a history of the American people. Big. But the two reasons I liked it, one, he's a Catholic, mm-hmm. so he's at least in, generally speaking, my part of the world as sure. to how to interpret what he's writing about. Sure. But, but it's, it's, it's the story of the American people yeah. rather than okay. trivia yeah. about American history. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you know in 1794 that... Whatever happened. Who cares? Yeah, right. No, no I no, didn't. I didn't. <laughs> Will that be on the test? And I still don't. <laughs> right. Well, right, I, I know it only so long as I need to know it. Yeah, exactly. As opposed to wanting to know it because it will somehow change my life. Hmm. Yeah. Wanting to know. Hmm. That's good. Okay, well, I'd be remiss if I uh, brought this podcast to a close without saying uh, that Dr. Dwight Lindley... Uh, wrote this article, Taking Literature Personally. Um, 
It's at a website called thepublicdiscourse.com. Um, just well, thought I should... Institute runs yeah. that. It's wonderful. Uh, you know, it's public discourse is a, is a great name, right? They're, they're trying sure. to have conversations that we all should be having mm-hmm. in, a, in a manner that's civil and um, uh, appreciative of all sides. Um, that's mm-hmm. one of the things about that article, of course, is he's not trying to whine and fuss. No. Um, he's trying to, to, to uh, encourage to good works. Right. And, and I hope that that's what this podcast is about. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Don't eat your vegetables.